Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes, episode number 117, impressive stuff. We're almost at Ben Stokes type level, and we're not out as well. Lovely to be here, <laughs> lovely to see Mark Hayes as always, hello calling, Hayes. I'm calling for a review on you. Uh, well, you've got, to, you've got to acknowledge, you may not like it, but we have oh, to acknowledge greatness. Absolutely, I did so on Twitter, I was one of the all time great solo is, performances in cricket. It was is enormously begrudgingly. Surrounded by just a, a sea of ineptitude. I wonder if Alison Whitaker did the big <laughs> deal. Oh, there's a lot of that going on. Although none of it from Alison Whitaker. Ineptitude and Alison Whitaker are two concepts that do not go together. And Alison Whitaker, thankfully, is much more than a concept. Hello <laughs> to you, Alison Whitaker, and welcome back. Conceptually here in the uh, flesh. Thanks. Yeah, it's geez. good to be back. Yeah. You've been everywhere. My goodness gracious <laughs> me, you've been, where haven't you been in the last three or four uh, weeks? I've, lo- I've logged some frequent flyer miles. Yeah, it's oh, been so good. you can get us into a lounge or two. We're her yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, come with me, boys. Yes. It's good. I own the lounge. No, um, yeah, it was fun. Three majors in a row. Never done that before. Mm. Not sure I'd sign up for it again. Holy moly. Yeah. That was long. Long hours. Like triple hours, pretty much. You and Tony Johnson do, seem but... to be having way too much fun <laughs> together, by the way. <laughs> Gosh, he is a total gem, South African uh, former player who I commentate with now, and he is just as delightful as he sounds on it. We yep. like Tony Johnson, don't we? We do, and I, I loved, I loved him more with, when he was bantering with Ali. It mm. just it, it made it made it all <laughs> seem real to me. So. Uh, so there's a bit to get through today. Cam Percy's going to join us, uh, which is fantastic, and we'll talk about him in a moment. Christina Lance, friend of the pod, senior media officer, LPGA2, is going to give us a Solheim Cup update, take the temperature of all of that. There's been some pretty seismic news Regarding the American team, which we'll chat to you and Christina about, Alison. We'll talk FedEx Cup. We'll bring you up to date with everything that's going on from an Australian perspective around the world. Where do you want? Do we want to jump off with a good news story, the feel-good story of the week? Why not? We're going to spend a bit more time talking to him in 10 minutes or so, but it's just a great story. I mean, this is redoubtable and this is resilient and this is talent continuing to rise when it needs to rise. And this is a good bloke you're referring yeah. to, Cameron Percy. Uh, just... One of the great guys of Australian golf, a very understated um, friend to a billion people, yeah. um, golfers and fans alike. Uh, just a really good bloke. So when he fell over at a theme park, a water a water world type place in the Baham- in the Bahamas in April, um, as I'm sure he's going to tell us, uh, he thought his goose was cooked. Um, so to get his PGA tour card a matter of four or five months later is an extraordinary story. I, it, it's unbelievable. He's still got parts of his uh, hand that he can't feel. I'm sure he'll tell us all about it, but uh, yeah, I was wrapped. That's, that's just one for the good guys. Uh, and you know, our second graduate already from yep. the, from the web.com or the corn Ferry tour, I should oh, say. Oh, oh, no, it's months You're better now. than that. Oh, no. Hazy. I don't think I am though. Ellie. <laughs> and hopefully we still got another couple to come yeah. in this final week ahead. So we'll touch on that later too. 
Yeah, I should say, Cam Percy is one of those guys that will go and play in the club, club comp when he's back. You, you can't find someone, I don't think, that's more down to earth than Cam. He's been around, like, I've, I've played with him on and off all throughout my career as well, and he's just so incredibly approachable, um, as if you needed any more reasons to get behind him, but I've, I've got a bucket load, so super stoked for him. Can't well, wait to talk to him. And I don't ever, even know whether he knows how many times he's got up there lost it and got back there again. Somebody listening will know. There'll be some, there'll be some numbers guru out there. Send us uh, an act. Who's been the player who has lost their PJ tour card and won it back the most in the history of this tour? I'd love to know. I mean, he, he must be approaching quickly double figures. Hopefully he never gets there, but this has got to be the eighth or the ninth time that he's gone down and come back up again. So yeah, actually it's funny. I was talking to Jared Lyle about this and he was in the same sort of, you know, bracket when we were writing his book. And, uh, yeah, he was one of the blokes who'd done it the most. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Do you know how many times was it? Uh, he won his card back, I want to say, five okay. times. Yep. Um, whether it was through a, um, a Q school, in, as it was back in the yeah. day, yep. or via the secondary tour. I'm not – I'd stand to be corrected there. But I remember him saying to me at the time when we were recording that, that it was among the – bigger numbers because it's hard, a hard yak. I mean, just the logistics of your life and where you need to live and travel and how you go about all that stuff is, it makes it hard work if you do it more than a couple. It'll break your heart, Ellie, at some stage. Like you've got to be so, oh, I've had, there it is. It's like the proverbial sand through the fingers a little bit, you know, at times. I think the kicker is like, and my understanding, we'll talk to Cam about it a little bit, but I, I, my understanding is that you kind of, when you're in the category that he's got, you've got to get off to a hot start. And for someone like Cam, that's a gradual earner, um, that's pretty yeah, hard. Yeah. And so some guys, it just de- genuinely um, doesn't suit their games. I don't know the specifics of it, but um, I'm sure we'll find out when we have a chat with him. And I, Andy, just on that, yeah. I mean, what he's done here is he's, we talk about just two good weeks here in the Corn Ferry finals, but he's actually in very limited starts to, to Ellie's point. He's had seven top 25 finishes in not many more starts. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your point is he doesn't win a lot, but he's an accumulator of money. Mm. Uh, so it does put extra pressure on when you've only got a limited number of starts. So Yeah, there's plenty, and there's plenty of room for guys like that on the PGA Tour. Absolutely. It's just the whole concept of actually trying to get full status out there in the meantime that doesn't always play into the hands of the more steady players. So that's he, he joins Roy Gibson. Cam Davis and Curtis Luck. Curtis Luck missed the cut. So oh, spoke... Curtis Luck. Oh, my God. He's, yep. uh, I don't want to sound like a 16-year-old watcher <laughs> of um, Countdown or something, Andy, whatever they watch these days. He made a bogey on his ninth, on the ninth hole, his 36th hole on the second round of the tournament and missed the cut by a shot. So I don't know. I haven't spoken to him about how that eventuated, yep. but he makes that par. He's got his card. No. So he's... I'm sure he'll be fine this week. I'm certain he'll make the cut and be fine. But that's going to be one of those things if it doesn't eventuate. And he might miss the cut and still make it. He's still yeah, in a yeah. really solid position. So um, Curtis, as we speak, is ranked 15th. Okay, so it's a good still. number. Yep, He's in yep. a good number. He just hasn't got the mandatory number of points or, that they expect will get over the line. But, yeah, man, oh, man. He makes a, he's got to stand on one hole, make a par, get your card. That's what it's going to come down to. If it doesn't work out, that's going to be hard to stomach for a year back on that tour again. You just don't want to leave it to the last second either. I mean, that's the luxury that, you know, that that Cam's kind of afforded himself is that he doesn't need to. I 
he doesn't really need to worry about anything anymore, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah. but you don't want to be like <laughs> just pushing it back. You want to kind of lock it up as quick as possible. 100%. And, and so Cam Davis uh, has done pretty well here, Andy, but he's still got a bit of a mountain to climb. By my super mathematical calculations that I did yesterday. Can't wait for this. <laughs> he's ranked 34th okay. after two of these yep. three-week finals. So he's got to get inside the 25. He's got to get yep. inside the 25. And to do that, I reckon he's got to have a – Tied twenty third or better this week. That's that's Hayes maths. That's not well, official. eminently so. doable for a player of his talent. It is it, it, very much so, and he and he's shown flashes in in uh, in Boise yep. to make that possible. I believe. Um, and the other one, well, there's still two others kicking around too. Brett Coletta didn't fare so well. Or he did have one good round there, but um, I guess had a bit of a mess of it with the seventy six in one. So he needs a, probably a tie fifth, tied sixth yep. to get through from where he is. Uh, Jamie Arnold sits at 18th, so he's probably uh, still handy and could theoretically make it without making the cut. But again, another who needs to make the cut here. If he can make the cut, probably a top 30 will get it done for him. We'll see. Think about the mindset. You take us into it, Ali. <laughs> the mindset of every – I don't know what the de- how many plot teed up this week. I've got no idea. It'll be a full field. I yeah, imagine. it'll be 156, yeah, 156, I'd imagine. I say this with absolute respect. 156 bar the – 20-odd in the field who have already got their cards. So one thir- so say 130. There'll be 130 of the hungriest dogs out there fighting for the limited number of bones. This is this – is, forget about Rory, and we'll talk about – but forget about that. This is – blokes playing for the ultimate – just a job. To, you know, this is as, this is right this is on the line. Now. Actual reality yeah. TV. Yeah. yeah, you know, and at at its best, and that's what live sports so good at is that because you can never predict what's going to happen. But for for me, the worst spot is actually the five guys that are trying to hang in there. That that is, I think, that's the most difficult spot to yeah. be when you're, um, you're inside when and you're they're inside. coming at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because yeah. if you're outside, you've kind of got nothing to lose. And you mean so you can slots go out there. twenty-one to twenty-five? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so for me, I, I actually think that that's a really difficult mental challenge in itself. Because um, it's essentially, I mean, it's essentially Q school. That's what it feels like. Q school is the worst week of your life. Even if you come out on top, you're still dead for a week yeah, after Q yeah. school. It's just such an incredible mental battle. Um, just How many trying... times did you do Q school? Uh, good question. Two or three, I mm. think. Yeah, I only had to do it once in uh, for the LPJ, which was great, and then tried to do it, I think, a couple of times for the LET. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't ever do it again. I remember one week, actually, trying to get my LPJ card straight out of college. Um, I was outside on the final day trying to – trying to get work my way in. I think I was 40th on the last day. It was terrible weather. I looked at my caddy and I said, we're going to do this because if it had been good weather, I probably would have struggled. But I'm, I was so adamant that we, we were going to just be mentally tougher, tougher yeah, than everyone yeah. else. And I went, this is, this is the opportunity that we needed. Let's go. And I ended up shooting a couple under par that day and launched my way into a yeah, right. reasonable card on the LPGA, but there weren't that many events that year. So it was kind of a bit, bit tricky. But, um, but I feel like, the guys, yeah, for me, that those last five cards, horrendous. Try, try and convince yourself that it's not on your mind twenty four seven, and that's the that is the battle. You're trying to ignore it all, and mm-hmm. it's you can't. See Ellie's face. Oh, we're bringing she... back bad memories. <laughs> Taking her back to a bad dark, <laughs> wow. dark place. So the other end of the the other end of the spectrum is you know what's going on, or what has gone on as the FedEx Cup, um, which we all love, and we're in the grip of it. Such such a magnificent vessel and we are gripped and it's revolutionized the way we feel about the game and 
It what, requires no spin from anyone to have us in its the magic of it. It has revolutionised the game to me, Andy. It's made me not care about the last four weeks of the season. Hazy, it has had the exact opposite <laughs> re- uh, reaction from so many people around the world that it, it wanted to have. Mm. No one gives us stuff. Uh, Very few. <laughs> and the attempts of the American media and those who are in the grip um, are making to spin it and try and energise it and try and get us excited by it. And the, the pump up of those who are sp- spitting out you know, news articles, you know, dressed up as, or PR, PR articles dressed up as news. It, it's just, you can see it as it, the words sort of ooze off the page where they're coming from. It's just not working. I, for me, I'm speaking on my behalf here, and I think I'm speaking for you. I don't know about you, help, but it just doesn't work. I, I have a theory, and I think it's actually tied in with money. I think you get it, it's for me. It's the concept that you're giving a bucket load of money to a guys that are to guys that already have a bucket load of money. Um, I actually think it would be more powerful if if it was for pride at the end of the year rather oh, than a fifteen million dollar check. Like if you so you, you know you get to the the final couple of stages, get use that what was it thirty thirty five million dollars or something that they put in the pot for the last three weeks, spread that out over the other events. And then just literally take the gloves off at the end of the season. One tournament, one event. One event, play for pride. Let's see who finishes on top of the points list or however they want to do the format. And I actually quite like the format changes, um, which is probably controversial. Oh, no, you know, someone's got it. <laughs> I know. I think it made it simpler for a lot of people. Um, whether or not it produced the accurate winner is, is a different story. Although Rory looked great. Mm. Oh, he's a great player. Like he's one of the oh. all-time, you know, like generational superstar. We aren't champion. We, it's not a knock on any of the guys turning it up. It's just the concept is not. It's just not adding any um, gravitas to what these guys are doing at the end of it. You know, we're not. Nobody in their right mind is putting the winner of the FedEx Cup up alongside as an achievement up alongside with even within a bull's roar. Are they of any of the majors? No. Well, it's the they're not, are they? No, 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 no any I, sort of status. No, um, and as I said last week or the week before here, like this is the year, time of the year when you roll out the word construct, hmm. because that's entirely what it is. It's a PGA to a prefabricated sort of thing. We're going to put it out there and hmm. tell people they're interested in it. Uh, I don't think it works. I would much rather see something like what Ali said, or a donation to a you know playing for your charities or something that actually means something to someone and, you know, or maybe even not, this is, this is never going to happen, but, you know, maybe the a bit of that prize money goes down to the Cam Percy's of the world as they battle through the real life dramas. Uh, this is just monopoly money for these guys. Mm. It makes no difference to them. And full credit, aside from the winning the tournament to Rory McIlroy, full credit to him for pointing it out before the tournament bega- yep, began. Good point. Yep. This is a hard sell to convince people as they watch rich blokes getting richer. I, I, I really liked what Rory said there. I think what the big uptake out of that was, it didn't appear on the PGA Tour website. Well, there's no surprise to that. No, there's no. I'm not surprised by yeah. that. But that's clearly a really good news story. Yeah. When someone who's about to win the equivalent of 22 million Australian dollars in four days, five days' time says, I'm not really sure we should be doing this. Mm-hmm. That surely that ranks as a news story, yeah, and and it it's it's that that's where the disconnect between media organisations and governing bodies and stuff can happen. Mm. Um, Clates wrote an outstanding article. I referenced it last week on the podcast. Went gangbusters, and we sort of had to um, put a little 
disclaimer on it saying, um, you know, we don't fully endorse as Golf Australia, we don't fully endorse Clate's views, but we absolutely respect his right to say it and we want to give him the, the vessel to be able to say it. Great. Uh, so I think that went really well, and the article was enormous as a, as a as a circuit breaker for conversations around pace of play. It was fantastic. So I think you know the governing bodies again should be overarching. Look at the big health of the sport rather than just what what it is they're trying to do this week. One of the things I have to say where they where they lost me, and this is you know obviously I work a lot in women's golf, but I was amazed that there was a comparison draw. So they did, they, there was a kind of a marketing campaign, what's $15 million. And they put that it was fourth place on the career money list on the LPGA. Jeez. And they I put went, that up. They put it up. It was all, it's, and it still is, it's all, still over social media. And I went, what a dig. Like, how do you not see that that is an issue? And I, and I had a pic, picture of Annika Sorensen holding a picture, one of the greats of the women's game. And it, and it went, this is what it equates to, an entire woman's career on the LPGA and abroad. I'm, I'm disgusted yeah, with that. Disgusting. Yeah, I was, I was floored. And it literally, I just went, nah, don't care. You're, you're gone. You, you can't make draw those comparisons and then expect the, the female golfers around the world to be on board with it. I don't know. It's odd. No, so it's... saying four days of Rory's best is equivalent to Annika's career. That's such. I, I think I feel and like I feel like Annika might even be. It's probably Christy. Might even be Christy Kerr, who's third or fourth off the top of my head. But regardless, but they had a picture of Annika on the marketing. Oh, and they're trumpeting it. This is why this is good. You know, it's rubbish. It's, well, we go back to. I mean, I've said this before too. Um, sorry to rehash, but when we were at the um, U.S. Open this year, uh, they were saying this is Tiger's hunt for his. 180th or 181st, whatever it was, tour victory. And no one in the world gives a continental, whether it's his 81st or 80th or 216th or whatever. They care that it's his chase for the 16th major. That's the only thing that they talk about mm. in, you know, no one else outside the PGA Tour construct, and he talks mm. about that stuff. Mm. That's true. Um, so you mentioned Christy Kerr. There's some huge news around the um, makeup of the U.S., Solheim Cup team. And joining us to do just that is Senior Media Officer from the LPGA Tour and a great friend of the pod, Christina Lance. Christina, thanks for joining us. Of course, I wouldn't have missed this for the world. Some big news regarding the American team. There's, it's a changing the guard to a lot of degrees with um, Paula Kramer and Christy Kerr uh, not selected in the US side. How, what's the reaction to that being like over there? You know, I think everyone's sad to see Christy and Paula not on the team. As uh, Captain Inkster said, it's, it's hard to make the decision. None of us envied her uh, that task. She had a lot of names she had to choose from, and we've got a young team, a lot of rookies on the team, and even our, our veteran players, only two of them have overseas uh, playing competition before. And so I think Captain decided she needed some some veteran influence on this team and decided that uh, her players for this year were going to be Morgan Trestle and Stacey Lewis both of whom have had great experience at the Solheim Cup. I think this will be Morgan's sixth and Stacey's fifth. Uh, they know their way around out there. They're going to be leaders in the team room. They're going to be leaders out on the course. And we'll be back in two years at Inverness Club in Toledo, and I won't be at all surprised if Paula and Christy and a couple other players use this as an opportunity to, uh, to revamp their games and put themselves back in the mix uh, for 2021. 
It's a new-looking team this year for, for Team USA. Bunch of rookies that you mentioned, but also I feel like there's kind of a, quite a few different styles of player that we haven't necessarily kind of seen in the past. Um, I'm kind of referring to, you know, the Brittany Altamares and the, uh, and the Marina Alexes. What do you think – how do you think that dynamic and having those kind of players that are, that are kind of shorter, craftier players um, will bring to, to Team USA? Crafty is exactly the word. I was thinking sneaky. Uh, we're here. I'm here in Portland, Oregon, where where Marina won last year for her breakthrough win, and she just kind of came out of nowhere and and stunned the field with that that sneaky good play. And if you guys watched the uh, the hype video we put out, one of the big uh, vid, uh, moments in there that I loved is a picture, a, a scene of Brittany Altamari holding the American flag behind her and screaming at the camera. That is a side of Brittany Altamari none of us have seen before, but she's got it in her. She is sneaky good. She is sneaky consistent. And I think she really could be a linchpin. She's playing well. We saw her make it um, into the playoff with Anna Nordquist at Evian two years ago, and she's just been consistent. She may not be the flashiest player out there, but you know you're always going to get good play out of her. And and a team needs that. A team needs someone that they know is going to have the backbone so you can go out and have wild angel yin go crazy and bomb it down the fairway <laughs> or something like that because you've got someone like Brittany or Marina or Annie Park who are going to be some of those more steady, get the ball in close players. You've now you're you know you're the senior media official for for the LPGA. Who have you noticed? Like who have people and other media outlets been asking you about the most? Who are kind of the the it girls of uh, of the US team still? The it girls. That's fun. We get a lot of questions about Jessica and Melly. This will be the first time we're going to have sisters playing for USA. Not the first time in the Solheim Cup. Other Thorns and sisters did play together one year. But that dynamic of how Jess and Melly are going to be out there, uh, both both long off the tee, both good players, good personalities. Jess, uh, perhaps a little more fiery than Melly, but I think this is this is the first time we're really going to see Melly in this kind of setting, and it'll be interesting uh, to see what we can get out of her. And then certainly, you mentioned them earlier. A lot of questions um, about the captain's picks to see what they can bring. I think Casey is still figuring out her game after a. She was playing pregnant most of last year and then been out on tour with, uh, with baby Chesney this year. It'll be great to, to have to have daycare at the Solheim Cup. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think we're, we're interested to see their two Morgan has been playing really well of late, having that late run at the AIG Women's British Open. So there's a lot of moving parts. We're calling it a changing of the guard, a lot of new faces. But, but it, it has to happen. And if this is the opportunity for that first step, it'll be a great experience for all of them. Will Nelly and Jess play together, like, without question? I honestly have no idea what's in Captain Inkster's mind. Uh, I would I would love to see it, selfishly, um, but we'll see. I know Nelly is best of friends with Megan Kang. They play very different games. I wouldn't be surprised to uh, to see them together, or if you put the, uh, the Long Bomber sisters out there, it would be, uh, perhaps make sense as well. We've seen, um, Christina, we're seeing a lot of, you know, these 20-somethings emerging in the men's side of the draw out of, you know, America. They're sort of storming the PGA Tour. Is there a similar um, wave of young American female players who are, you know, pressing their claims and likely to make the same sort of impact that um, some of their male counterparts are? We do have a changing of the guard just on the American side as well. Some of the 
younger faces, faces the Annie Parks, the Megan Kangs, um, Lizette Stallis. I know she just turned 30, but truly coming into her own, playing so well of late. We saw the late run from Amy Olsen, who was just a few putts away of honestly playing her way onto the team. Allie McDonald has been playing very well, was in discussion uh, for the team the whole way. There, there's a lot of, of younger names that are coming up, maybe not necessarily early 20s, but that, that 24, 25, 26-year-old crew uh, starting to come together. But then you've got Megan and Nellie, who are both 21, and what was I doing when I was 21? Yeah. Last week, yeah. she's yeah. not American, but last week I at the CP Women's Open, I interviewed a 12-year-old who was more well-spoken than I've ever been in my life. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're going okay. Um, kids. I feel like looking at the team, and you know, we mentioned about kind of the the different style of team that I think it's going to be um, than in the last say three four editions of the Solheim Cup for for Team USA. I feel like the pairings are going to be really important. And in the last two times that Julie Inkster has been a captain, she's used the the pod system essentially, which is kind of a, a, a psychological profile to put people into um, into three or four different groups. I think it's is it I think it's four different groups. No, three different groups of four. Three different groups of four, yeah. Yeah. Has there been any mention of her using that again this year? Not mentioned, but also not word it's not going to happen. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? (laughs) Uh, I I won't be at all surprised. I won't be at all surprised if we continue with that. It'll be interesting to see how they come together. And and the pairings will be interesting. This is the first time in a while we're not going to have Sikkim and Lang playing together. We're not going to have Pillar and Lewis. And we're not going to have Kerr and Thompson. Those were three go-tos. For the last few years, of course, laying um, out, getting ready to go on maternity leave. Once someone is out on maternity leave, Jarena not making the team and Christy not making the team. So it, it will be interesting to see what what Julie is going to do. Does she put Morgan and Lex and Morgan and Stacey, excuse me, in with some of those younger players? Does she maybe make a a Tessa Lewis leadership team that everyone looks up to? I I'm not certain. It's going to be interesting uh, what Julie pulls out of her hat. Christina, your country men had their butts handed to them in Paris. Is there any sort of uh, feeling about Ryder Cup spilling over into Solheim or is it entirely independent? It's entirely independent. I think we have uh, we have fans who just want to see good golf. And, and certainly we're going to see um, partisan crowds overseas. We always will. I've I've never worked in overseas uh, Solheim Cup, but in my my uh, USGA days, I worked two overseas Curtis Cups, and they were amazing experiences. And while uh, Great Britain and Ireland were heartily cheered for, so was USA. Uh, I have no doubt it's going to be good, no matter no matter which way the score plays out. Certainly hope it's USA, but I know all these Europe girls as well. They're dear friends, and I wish them nothing but the best. It's not far away now. September, Glen Eagles. We're all looking forward to it. It's uh, it's going to be quite. It's going to be quite something to watch. The rest of the golf world, uh, whether you're from Europe or the United States of America, Christina, uh, golf fans all over the place love seeing this um, this event play out, and we can't we can't wait. So, um, get back to your dessert. What are you having? Do you know what the, what's on the order? What you what you actually going to hook into there over in Portland, Oregon? I don't know. I can see them out the window, and I know they've placed an order, but nothing has come to the table yet. So I'll go out. I'll Hazy. I'll shoot you a note. And you know what we end up getting. <laughs> oh, I'll, thanks. I appreciate that. And yeah. I, I just want to um, wish Rub you wish your Patriots, uh, you know, all the worst. I mean, the best, uh, Hazy, the best for the Washington. upcoming NFL season. 
Year-old's oldest quarterback. We'll take it. He's still better than all the rest of them. Yeah, got a young one too. There's a young one coming through too, Christina, who looks all right as well. Uh, did all right in a couple of those preseason games. So perhaps now that I know you're one of us, maybe or I'm one of you, maybe we should have a chat about this at some stage. But that's uh, that, that that's a conversation for another day. Uh, go back, enjoy your, the rest yes. of your dinner, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks for being part of the pod today. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Good on you. Christine Lance, Senior Media Officer for the LPGA Tour. Looking forward to what's going to be another fantastic contest between the United States and the Europeans. Um, Cam Percy standing by, ready to join us. We're going to break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. Come back with our latest PGA Tour graduate on the other side of this. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to the show. As we mentioned off the top, this is one of the great uh, stories from an Australian golf perspective, not only this week, but for a little while. There's a huge chorus of fans that Cameron Percy has back in Australia, and every single one of us was delighted to see that he secured his PJ Tour card, not for the first time, it must be said, uh, with a really stout-hearted performance in Boise and after many hours, way too many hours in the plane and staying up a bit too late for his own liking over in America, he's been good enough to take our call before he hits the sack. Cam Percy joins us. Congratulations, mate. We're all really, really thrilled for you. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm, uh, I mean, I, I, I can't play through this year. I didn't know I was going to be able to play golf again. So to get back to the PGA Tour um, in a couple of weeks, there's only two weeks I'm back out there. So I'm uh, pretty excited. So t- tell us, let's let's jump in right there. You've led us there. How, I mean, how bad was the wrist? How, how did you do it? And what was the what was the worst possible case? The, the worst possible case scenario. Well, I just I just flipped over. I, I um on some wet concrete, and um obviously it happened so quickly. I put my arm out, and when I did it, I my shoulder killed me, and it was blood all over my elbow. I smashed my elbow up and stuff. <laughs> I didn't even know about my wrist at the time until um, um, we went to, you know, pick the bags up and go to the airport, and I couldn't pick anything up. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel very good. And then I went to even to pick up a can of water, and I couldn't even do that. And um, so when I got home, I went straight to the hospital. I had an X-ray, and the X-ray showed nothing. And then I went and saw a specialist, and he's like, oh, I need to get an MRI on this. And I had an MRI, and he said, yeah, you've got a fractured wrist, and we need to put in a cast. So um, after I did the MRI, they put in a cast for three weeks, and I had three weeks in a cast just stuck there. And then when I got it off, um, everything was going great with the with the bone and everything. But um, I played a golf tournament and then played the next week, which was too much. And then all of a sudden, I got nerve damage, so I had pins and needles everywhere, and I couldn't hit a golf ball. And then I took another month off, and then when I came back from that, my fingers went numb. I couldn't feel anything in my fingers for two weeks. Jeez. And I tried to play through it, and I just couldn't. And I was like, if I was going to have a heart attack, I'm like, your fingers go numb, that's not good. So, <laughs> and then I had another month another month off, and then I had the playoffs. So that's sort of been my year. It's just been a stop-start year. So talk to us about the, the process that you went through, Cam, in terms of, like, the team you surrounded yourself with to try and get yourself back to, to being, like, game-ready, I guess. Uh, did you feel like you know, it was kind of just get me back 
to golf as quickly as possible so I can try and, and polish off 2019 and get what I can out well, of it? Well, when I, when I did it, I was 15 from the main list and I was cruising. I was playing nicely. I felt like I my cardio easy. But then when I did it, I'm like, all right, now I'm you know, behind the eight ball. And, and a few people reached out to me that actually hurt their wrist and said, whatever you do, don't come back too early. But they never said why, like, don't come back because this will happen or that will happen. And I'm lucky in Raleigh where I live, one of the physios from the tour lives here. And I see him, you know, whenever I want to, um, when he's home. And I was with him and he's like, all right, yep, everything's going great. The bone's healed. Everything. We're doing all these strength exercises and stuff and it's going great. We actually played a tournament here four weeks after I heard it. And um, it was really firm and fast, so... I could just chip it around and I ended up playing and came 17th. I'm like, oh, beauty, you know, I'll take a few weeks off. But my caddy convinced me to go to the next week's event, which was only three or four hours down the road. And that was two courses. And I, instead of just hitting 20 balls and going home, I had to play two courses, have practice rounds and this and that. And then in the first round, I shot 70. And I think I had five duff shots in the middle of the fairway. And I was literally letting go of the club at impact because I just, um, I was just flinching at impact and I just, the pain was too much so I had to pull out of that event and that's when I started getting the pins and needles and then everything else went with that. You, you haven't been able to practice fully even before the, the Corn Ferry finals, have you? I mean, it's it's a it's a bit hit and miss when you stand over the ball still, isn't it? Oh, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm literally duffing shots. Like, I almost got my car back the first week but I think I like, just hit heavy. Like on the par threes, I was duffing six irons and that in the, the front of the green and, you know, plugging in bunkers and stuff like that. So just because I've hit so few golf balls, um, like even when I decided I was going to take time off for the playoffs, my fingers were still numb. So I was trying to get rid of that. So I literally couldn't practice. I couldn't do workouts and stuff with my hands. So I was literally just, you know, just maybe doing a few squats and stuff and that's about all I was doing. So... I just haven't got the reps. When you don't realise when you play week in week out, your body just gets used to hitting golf balls. Nothing really hurts, and you and you hit the ball fine. But when you literally take months off, just hitting the golf balls like a bit of a an ordeal. Especially four and five irons and three irons. When I've got them in the par fives or you know, long par threes, they're the ones I'm really struggling with. So it's been it's been really hard. So when you came back after you gave yourself that, when you WD'd from that tournament and then you came, and even, even this, say this week, were you confident in your own mind were you, or were you more hopeful that, geez, I hope this thing hangs in there or were you, were you really kind of rock solid in your belief that you're going to be okay? No, nah, not at all. <laughs> I turned up that first event and I you know, felt weak and this and that and you've got all these young kids that are 23, 24 and, they're doing full-on workouts and they're smashing at 50 past you. And like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, I need to find something else to do. Like, I can't compete with these guys. And the first, the first, um, so I just went back to the real basics and stuff my old blind gave to me, you know, back when I, you know, was in the Institute of Sport and stuff. I went through my routines and stuff like that. And I just tried to do that. In the first round, I shot 700 and I was leading. And I'm like, huh, maybe I can compete with these guys. And, I played fantastic, and um, and I and I finished 11th, and that was just, you know, I was, I was pretty happy with that, and then that gave me the confidence the next week to do well. But then I was free over through five holes on Thursday. I hit a drive like a two yards off the fairway, and it got stuck up a tree on one hole and made double bogey after three putting two holes beforehand. I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. But I managed to rally and, and make the cut and then had a good weekend. 
So is this, sorry, Hazy, just on that, is there something to take away from all that camp? Like, we're always chasing something, and, you know, we talk enough to a lot of you guys, and you're always searching for the next thing and finding that extra 5% and finding the extra 10 yards, and you're always looking for something that, is there something to, hang on, where I was was okay, and if, and if when I was going okay, I was going okay, and maybe I don't need to, maybe what I had is actually still good enough to be good enough. I mean, is there, is there something in all of that, do you reckon? Oh, for sure. Like, I know in 2009, I played on the web tour back then, I think it was, and I played unbelievable. Peter Green and stuff like that. But some of the shots I look back on what I hit, I'm like, what the heck am I doing hitting it there, you know? But I was so confident that I, you know, I hit four lines with gaps that are like 10 feet with the hazard right and all that sort of stuff. And I look back on that and I'm like, man, that was actually really, really good. I didn't, you know, I changed coach. I changed... This. I changed that, trying to get a little bit better. I changed my caddy because I got told, you know, you need an experienced caddy and all that sort of stuff. And I changed my coach because I got told, you know, you need a coach over here sort of stuff. So, um, you know, looking back, I just realised just how good you were. And I'm like, man, I just need to get back to that. And I actually I keep notes on you know, every practice session and stuff you have. So I was going through a lot of that because I had time to read all that stuff. And you go back over that and it, and it, and it worked again. So I'm just trying to. But I just haven't done the repetition yet to, to get back to where I was. Yeah, right. You're just a pup, mate. You've got plenty of time exactly. left ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> 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 well, you only 45. Well, we were talking yesterday. This is your, you couldn't put a, an exact number on it, your eighth or ninth time that you've qualified up onto the big tour. That I mean, That's I'm important. not I'm not sure what the record of that would be, but you, you've got to be getting pretty close to it, I'd imagine. Yeah, but I, I never, I never actually finished in the top one twenty-five. I kept my card. I've sort of the category I'm in. Um, it's really important to start really well, and quite often uh, we start in the middle of winter for me. So I, I started, you know, in Hawaii and, and Palm Springs and that, and I'm coming out of winter where I haven't touched a club. It's been like for you guys, mine. It hasn't got above zero for like a month or two. So you know, I've just never got off to great starts. And one year I did get off to a great start. And, I got vertigo for like four weeks, so stuff like that. So I've, I've always struggled to, you know, finish in the top 125, which, you know, looking back, it's very frustrating, but it's just, you know, it's, it's pretty hard. It's not easy playing on the PGA Tour. They're good players, so you sort of got to give yourself a bit of a break sometimes. Cam, can you, can you talk to us a little bit about, the, like, the pressure cooker of of last week in terms of everyone trying to vie for their for their cards? Is is it? I feel like... The, the comparison might be to draw that it feels like you're on the cut line for every single shot of the week in terms of, like, how do you try and get yourself out of that mind frame and, and play, like, put yourself in with it, any kind of chance of playing good golf under those kind of circumstances? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because you know what you've got to do and you just, and it's all there in front of you. Like, I know I've got to hit it down there. I know I've got to hit it on the green. I've got to hold a putt. It's just, you've just got to do it. And then, like, on Sunday, it got quite windy and really tricky swirly wind so made it really hard and they had all these pins like one yard from false front so a couple of times I hit it literally you know six foot left or right of the hole and it just fell off the green and then you, you know you've got tricky little shots so but then if you hit it 20 feet right then you're putting and if you put it three feet past it rolls off the green so uh, like my putt in the last you saw I was just on the wrong side of the ridge and I putted it 10 or 12 feet past pretty comfortably so I, I equate it to like you know, you go for your first job and if you're really nervous or something like that, well, that's basically what 
I go through every day or every week playing golf, like that first job interview you got where you're really nervous about getting a job and you're you know, trying to impress people, that's basically what it's like all the time, trying to be a professional golfer, I guess. It's, it's so much more exhilarating to hear you say that than sit and watch the chase for fifteen million dollars oh, yeah. more for <laughs> spot on for Rory. Although I reckon I reckon I reckon Perth, I reckon you'd be happy to be knocking in a putt from six feet to pocket fifteen million. I reckon you'd take that, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> well, the, the thing with those guys is they've got these contracts worth two hundred million like they're fifty ah yeah like what's the player like win or lose. Like you, they look so relaxed. You know, playing it's not gonna make a difference to their life if they make if, if they win or not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They've just got so much money that it really doesn't matter. It's playing for like look how Rory was at the British Open. He was a mess. You know, he shot seventy nine or something because he was he was so into he's playing for the British Open at his home course. The playing for fifteen yeah. million. Like, oh, what's it matter? You know, it's a good my, point. my contract from Nike is worth more than this. I don't really care too much about it. That's a really so, good point. Different kind of attitude. So what I know yeah. it's too early for you to sort of really give this have given this much thought, Cam. But what would mean a, what would be a success in your mind next year? Is it competing with Brooks and the big boys in a major? Is it pinching enough money in an early season tournament to keep your card? Is it finishing in the top 80? What would what would success look like to you in next season? Oh, definitely just definitely to keep my card. I've never done it, which is really frustrating. So it's like a few guys I'm friends with, are like, you have never kept your card? I'm like, no, I've never actually finished 126. I've finished 130th and 140th and stuff like that. But never actually, they're like, it sort of blows their minds because they're like, that's crazy. Like, you know, they, they, sort of like you've, they sort of talk to me like I'm one of the better, you know, ball strikers I've ever seen. They don't understand how I can't keep my card. But um, so for me, just keep my card to be successful. And, and if I can get my game good enough to win, there's a few courses where you don't need to be crazy long and just hitting it straight and, and all that sort of stuff can help me. So there's a few courses out there that I can compete with for sure. So when with the, the big guys sort of seeing, being seen at least to be uh, targeting the big tournaments more than ever, um, playing shorter schedules individually. Does it give you a chance to pick alpha? And I don't want to pot any individual tournaments. Does it? But mm. does it give you a chance to say, right, I want to have a crack at that fries that sets up well for me. Kepka's not going to be there. That's my shot at glory. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, just the, the standard is so good. Um, you know, and when you haven't got Jason Day, Brooks, Rory, Justin Rose, and all those guys there, you're like, oh, this, you look at the field, you know, it's pretty weak, but really it's as strong as anything. Though. They're really, really good players, but just when you haven't got those top, top, top guys there, or, you know, for some weeks, it definitely is your chance to, to win the tournament. Where's the balance? When they're at their best, you know, it's really hard. Sorry, Cam. Yeah, where's the, where's the balance? Where do you go? Do you look at strength of field, or do you try and go back now to golf courses that either suit your game currently or have suited your game in the past and what you know throughout your experience over the last you know essentially kind of nine times out there like what have you learned that might change this season in terms of how you put it together um i've just i think um i've been because of my wrist i haven't been able to hit long shots and i've been working on wedge stuff and there's a guy here in raleigh who actually um, coaches Justin Rose just on short game and wedges and stuff like that. And I saw him a few days before I went away. You know, I literally on the par fives, if I had a three wood or a three iron, you know, I'd actually lay it up for the yardage and I'd get it up and down. Like I literally nearly hold about probably ten wedges in the last two weeks. Jeez. So just I've really got to 
be really, really, really good with my wedges. So that's one area I can improve on for sure. And, and I've worked on my putting now for maybe six weeks because that's another thing that's all I've been able to do. So with a line on my ball and lining the ball up and then just trusting that line up properly and just hit it square, whereas I'm always relied on my feels and, you know, just trust myself and trust on my eyes. And it just hasn't worked. I've been, a, I've been, you know, some years I'm 190th in putting and that's basically why I missed my card. So I'm really, really confident with my putting and then my wedge game at the moment, which makes it easier off the tee. I don't feel like I've got to be so aggressive off the tee and on the par fives and stuff. So, you know, a couple of times I literally had three irons in and some par fives and I weighed it up with a eight iron and waited to two feet and tapped it in and I was like, huh, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> it makes the game a lot easier. Mm. A few good stories in there, Andy. You would have thought it might have been worthwhile getting picked up on the television coverage at oh, some once stage. once or twice. Yeah, once or twice. They get a bit obsessed with <laughs> blokes with a star-spangled banner uh, alongside their name. We know how it works, you know. It's an, Ameri- <laughs> it's an American coverage. You know this, Cam. It's an American coverage they send around the world. Uh, if you played a bit of college golf over there, that helps, you know. Um, but the rest of the yeah. world make up. We make up the numbers from a television perspective a little bit. Also, too, now you got. This, I played a young kid called Victor Hovland yep. last week, um, Norway. Really, really impressive player, um, and just a wonderful kid. Had a, and he's got an Australian caddy for him, and he's like, I really like the Aussies. Every time I hang around with these Aussies, like they're just bound to earth and good people and this and that. So. He's a, he's a kid that I think is going to be on TV a lot too, but he's a really, really good player and just a fantastic kid as well. So he's one guy to look out for, for sure. I think he played in the Australian Open last year. So yeah, he did. At did, the lake. did you? He must have finished right ne- nearby him, actually, on the on the leaderboard last year at the Lakes. Yeah, I finished fifth, I think, from memory. And yep. I do remember his name being up there, but I never met him. But he's a fantastic kid. And he just hit driver everywhere. He was incredible how straight he hit his driver, so... He's going to be a really good player, so watch out for him next year. He does look like a player. So just on all of that, in turn, I think you said before, so you start in two weeks, is that what you said? You're going to tee it up in two yeah. weeks' time? Yep. So how mindful do you need yeah, to be? I mean, Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no. Well, I was really thinking of taking this week off, but with the scheduling, what they've done is we – I live in Raleigh, and Columbus was the first playoff event, so I drove there about seven hours away. I thought, I'll be really smart. I'll drive my car to Indianapolis, which is near where the next course is, and then fly to Boise and then fly back, and then I've got my car there. Well, I've wrapped my car, my tour card up, and my car's stuck in Indianapolis, so I've actually forced myself to play this week. We've got to go pick up my car in yeah. Indianapolis. Leave it there, mate. No, leave it there. Just get a well, new car now. now I'm, gonna... I'm, all, I'm, all, <laughs> I'm almost thinking of not playing this week because then I'm going to have two weeks to prepare for the tour because... I'm going to hit the tour, and it's five weeks in a row straight off the bat. So, so that was um, that mean, was that was kind of I mean, my that was McQueen. That is actually the reason for my question. How mindful do you need to be of not overplaying? Like you want to chase this thing hard, and you want to, you know, you've already told us what your ambition is, but being patient with that, and not, you know, feel like oh, I'm behind the number, I'm behind where I want to be. I've got to play next week. I've got to play, you know, the week after that. Do you need to? Are you are you going to be good at you know sort of? pacing yourself through this through this next chance? Yeah, well, I, well, that's one of the hard things is the category I'm in, we re-rank every five weeks. So you you haven't got your ranking only last five weeks and then it changes. And I'm sort of, if I, I'm 12th right now, that'll probably get me in the five events. But if I don't play this week, you know, three or four guys might jump me and I might be like last man in or not quite get in one of the events, so... Yeah. What? It's that's kind of, that's it's bizarre. It's hard, because you're just not... 
guaranteed to getting starts. So a a re rank every five weeks. And then, <laughs> At least yeah, every five weeks. I'm appalled, I've, Cam. I've, I've, I am. My whole career. <laughs> I'm appalled by this. My whole career, this. I've re ranked every five weeks. Oh. Yeah. There's there's no way to play yeah. like it's that's brutal like that's almost you know so you can't set a schedule and you can't all right I'm gonna play three weeks take two weeks off because you don't know I'm gonna get in and like one year I think I was first emergencies I was hanging around you know first ultimate five times and I got in the tournament like for the last man in sort of thing five times so wow. you don't know if you're playing you caddy you don't know if you send your caddy there or not and all that sort of stuff so it's quite difficult to oh. to set a schedule. That's not exactly glamorous, well, but one is year, it? One, I, think, I think last in San Diego was first of all. Cam Smith had food poisoning on Wednesday, and Jason Day pulled out of the plan. And Jason looked like crap on Thursday morning walking up. And I said, mate, are you going to play? Because I was first reserve. He goes, yeah, sorry, mate, I'm going to give it a go. And he won the tournament. So <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't feel too bad about him playing that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, are you are you sleep deprived? I don't know whether you've been watching any of the cricket. Are you been staying up watching the your footy club on the AFL app? What are you, how how's this, how are the sleep patterns going? Well, Anabhan was here. He's been Indian. He's mad about cricket. He gave me when I rocked up on Sunday. I said, oh, last time I checked the cricket, we. Needed one wicket and there was 70. I assume we won. He goes, Oh, you haven't seen it, haven't you? I'm like, Oh, no, why? And he told me exactly what happened. But I was, I missed the last, when we got the nine wickets with 70 runs to go, I'm like, Oh, well, we're home here. <laughs> and he told me all about that. So that then every English person I've, I know in America has called me <laughs> and, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> then with Colin, um, I watched the beat Essendon on Friday morning, I think it was. Yeah. So. That was pretty comfortable in there. We just kept kicking points, and which was quite frustrating. But I think in two weeks we played you along, so that'll be good fun. That will be good fun, uh, mate. We'll start. We'll finish where we started. Uh, everybody, I'm yeah. sure, who listens to the po- this podcast is a happy to hear your voice, uh, but b completely over the top um, excited for you that you're back there again. And you know, we've all seen you play. We know how good you are, and um, you can rewrite your history um, in the next twelve months, mate. And enjoy your time there for a bit longer. Yeah. Uh, now that you're back there again. So, um, well done, and thanks for having a chat to us. No worries. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Go get him, Cam. Thanks, Cam. Cameron Percy, back on the PGA Tour, our special guest here on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen Listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Great to hear Cam Percy on the show. We wish him all the very best. Uh, From a domestic perspective, as we work our way through all the uh, other bits and pieces, the uh, first of the local tournaments on the Australian PGA Tour uh, took place on the weekend. Uh, the Northern Territory PGA Championship was run and won. Brett Rankin was the winner. Uh, he was delighted to be so, and he caught up with you, Hazy. Well, thanks, Andy, and I'm absolutely chuffed to be able to speak to the winner of the Northern Territory PGA Championship, Brett Rankin. Brett, that's got to have a really nice ring to it for you. Mate, it does. Um, I couldn't be more chuffed or uh, 
proud of myself for uh, finally being called a tour winner. Like, unbelievable sort of what you work for for your whole career as a junior and amateur. And finally to get there and get it done was, um, was pretty emotional and just uh, an amazing feeling, to be honest. Talk about those emotions, mate. It's uh, everyone that I've spoken to who was there in the in the NT said you were you know you were had a tear in the eye. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, full of waterworks. <laughs> um, yeah, I had my card in, and then Jono Jono came up to me and he just got me with the first question. He said, "What does this mean to you?" And it just um, yeah got the emotions going pretty good. And he, he he said in his story, John O'Nash, we're referring to here, I assume, that uh, you yep. know you, you referenced your father. Is there a particular story behind that? Um, Dad, yeah, Dad introduced me to the game. Um, he's a big softy at heart. <laughs> and I, know, I know how much it would mean to him. And the fact that it means that much to him means a lot to me as well. Yeah. Because there's one thing, isn't it, to win? Like you've had a, a handful of wins, more than a handful of wins and pro-ams and other things like that. But this is next level up, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, uh, pretty much, pretty much known as a really a quality pro am player. I've, I've won plenty around Australia. Um, I think I've probably won forty plus pro ams over the last sort of mm. six to seven years. So you know, but I am I have been tagged as a just a pro am player, and you know, you guys will say little jokes on putting greens on ranges about it, and you just sort of laugh it off. But you know, it hurts deep down you know, being called a pro-am player and, and not a tour winner and not being able to maybe produce your best golf, like the quality of golf that you know you can produce on the big stage and to finally just put four rounds together that and play the way I know I can play. Like I've, I know I've been good enough for, for years now, but to put the four rounds together the way I would in a, in a pro-am, one day or two day pro-am was just, um, it was just a massive relief to be honest, just to get that, get over the line, get a tour win under my name and just, just get sort of the monkey off the back, so to speak. Um, just the biggest the biggest emotion I felt after yesterday finishing out was just relief, to be honest. Yeah. And no one's comparing it, to the unfortunately for you, to the, the FedEx Cup riches, but is it more important to you to bank the money that you made uh, in Darwin or is it more important to you to have that inner feeling of being a tour winner and the freedom that's going to give you? Uh, to a winner for sure. Like the money's great. Uh, the money's going to go a long way towards qualifying schools and and trips overseas. But money's just money, you know. It's you can always earn more. And just being being known as a tour winner, I'll always be a tour winner for the rest of my life. And just to have even just the um, just that acknowledgement amongst your peers, you know, you've you've done something that a lot of guys can spend the whole whole careers trying to achieve and never get there. So um, I spoke to a couple of guys last night about it, and you know, I grew up with a couple of guys through state golf and stuff like that, and, and they still haven't got there. And I know it means a lot for them to try and get there, and they were just so chuffed for me as well. So yeah, yeah, being 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 a tour winner definitely outweighs the money. That's always great to hear from our perspective. I reckon. Uh, it- I understand that you uh, were challenged midway through the round, and I know this is your final round. I mean, on on Sunday afternoon, and yeah. uh, that's also got to be something that you you're very proud of that you fought off the challenge and and did it well with a string of birdies. Yeah, absolutely. I was um, I was fortunate enough to go off to a red hot start yesterday, and and pretty much put me in the lead early in the round. So I. You know, I had that pressure from probably the third or fourth hole onwards that, you know, I was playing with a lead or tied for the lead. 
Um, I was lucky enough to extend that. I think I was two shots in front, starting the back nine. Uh, and I played played nicely. Just made made a bogey on twelve, which is easy to do on that little hole. It's a little hole, but it's it's quite a difficult hole with the way the fairway shapes and uh, how firm the green is. And then I saw um, Tyler McDonald and Cade McBride pretty much got within one or even tied with me. I think when I teed off on fourteen, and for me to respond with four birdies in the next five or six holes or whatever it was under under such pressure and I hadn't done that before you know I've known one at one important tournament before I know those guys were trying as well but to respond after making a bogey and bringing those guys back into the picture was um was just was awesome and um definitely I can build a lot of confidence from that so what's on the uh, agenda for, for Brett Rankin for the next well I suppose that opens up a lot of things get your ISPS hand a PGA Tour of Australasia card for presumably until the end of 2020 yep what else have uh, you got um, on the agenda? Mate, it, well, it's huge for me because I'm heading to uh, European qualifying school. I've got first stage uh, middle of next month in about three weeks' time. So I was sort of in a similar boat last year where I was still trying to hold on to my card here in Australia, mm-hmm. but I was also trying to go into the European tour. And now that I've got my Aussie card um, secured now, it just, takes, it just takes a bit more pressure off the shoulders, you know, and, and the money does too. It helps me pay for Q schools because as most professionals know they're not cheap um so now i can i can just focus now solely on the european qualifying school and trying to get my european card and if that goes well then i've got a card on two tours where i can go back and forth or just focus on one or whatever it is at least i know i've got a job for next year so um yeah definitely a massive relief relief and and just a great feeling to be in this situation. I can hear the freedom in your voice, mate. Mate, yeah, you <laughs> like I'm to be honest, I've been I've been pretty emotional about it today as well. I've I have periods where I just sort of go quiet and just sort of deal with it every time I think about it. So yeah. um yeah, it's been awesome. Oh, that's great, Brett. Oh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. I know you've got a busy week to chat to us on Inside the Ropes and we Wish you nothing but uh, continued success in this year and, and onwards into the future. So thank you again for joining us. And more importantly, congratulations on being a tour winner. Awesome, mate. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Fantastic to see Brett Rankin get the chocolates. You can hear the emotion in his voice. I mm. mean, for him to be regarded for quite a while as a pro-am winner, in inverted commas, to shed that tag and win on the tour is obviously enormous to him. Um, some fascinating things there that he said about the relevance of that to his future career as opposed to money. Uh, it's even though it's, um, you know, we're not talking the Rory McIlroy sums of money. Um, you know, th- that money is critical to his life, but still the tag of tour winner mm. being so, you know, important in the scheme of his golfing career and his psyche is fascinating to me. And what a way to do it too fun around 63. Yeah. That's one way to kind of cement your way there. It, yeah. And it's not easy though. The, the existence, you know, you say like pro-am winner is that, you know, I think that a lot of people have the concept that, that that's an easy feat to do, but there's so many hidden challenges because yeah. there's, there's, there's no one helping you. Like you don't go, there's no host hotels. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not like you go to these pro-ams and everything is laid out for you. You are literally pulling your sleeves up and getting everything done. A lot of the guys stay in housing as well. Um, like we've heard, you know, many times before that it's just, it's not the glam life and you often like... You know, if you stay in housing, you're talking to the guy who who's comes up. He's a twenty handicapper sometimes, and he's going, "Oh, so you so you're winning? 
over dinner. Like, so you're, so you're leading. Oh, are you nervous about tomorrow? And you get, you get all of these other questions that you just don't get when yeah. you've got the luxury of being able to cocoon yourself and you have the money to do so. So it's a pretty incredible achievement. Yeah. And Winning the Blue Jacket Classic is hard. And I'm playing with 20 of my idiot mates. Winning that thing every year is hard. How many times have you won that? Five, thanks for asking. But, but winning it is hard. You, <laughs> the next time is always difficult. But the, this, sixth, the sixth one's the hardest. Very, that's Especially the next one's the hardest. Head exactly. wobbled on this. When you're not playing any golf anymore, it's very, very difficult. But So, you know, you make really valid points. And for him, you can understand that he now goes from being, he now goes from being um, a pro-am winner to it elevates his own perception of who he is and maybe what he's capable of. So very much so. You can hear him talk yeah. about you know the the prospect of playing on the on the different uh, Q school around the world. Yeah. So you know he, he's instantly thinking bigger things, bolder things, and all coming from that mindset. Where else do we want? To, where else do we want to go uh, around the world or domestically before we tidy this one up today? Well, I'm going to ask Ali about this. Well, I mean, it's just oh, by, by the way, sorry. Sorry, not only does he get all of that, Brett Rankin, but he gets one of the world's great trophies. Can we just put that oh, on the right? Yeah, this yeah. is one of the great trophies. Have you seen the trophy? I don't. I don't it know. It is a crocodile, it's a crocodile head. Mate. Yeah, it yeah, is I a skull actually, of yeah. a crocodile head. It <laughs> could, massive. I think it's the one that ate Chubbs Peterson. Oh, get more Aussie than a crocodile head trophy. It's a and it's got the like there's some got some thing in the crocodile's mouth what? that actually says what it is, you know? It's an All amazing... of the previous runner-ups. <laughs> right. All the folks who missed the cut. Yeah. <laughs> right. The victims. Oh, it's really good. It's a cracker. Sorry it's a... to bother. No, no, I no. It's a, it. I should have, it should have been front and centre. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't believe I didn't ask Brad about it. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, I want to, um, This is for everyone who's listening, but I'll specifically ask Ali. We didn't mention earlier on when we had Christina Lance on uh, about Jin Young Co. So... Of a five-shot winner in the Canadian Women's Open, an unbelievable score of 26 under par. That's sort of almost de rigueur on the LPGA Tour these days, what the girls are doing. Mm. Ali, that is now 106 holes straight without a bogey mm-hmm. for Jin Young Co. Can you put that in any perspective and think about all the choppers heading out to their club now are hoping for two in a row? <laughs> I think the last person to do it was uh, Inby Park, I want to say, and that's got to be at least four years ago, maybe 2015 off the top of my head. Um, yeah, which in itself is a fantastic comparison to be made. But the, the problem, so watching Jin Young on the weekend, she hit it into the bushes and everyone is thinking, all right, great potential like par five, potential two, two shot swing. She's playing uh, with Nicole Brock Larson and who's a ripping chick, by mm. the way, she's always the last person standing on the dance floor at the end of year party. Uh, <laughs> classic, sometimes on the bed, you know, just bouncing up and down and singing, singing your anthems. Sneaky. Really? Yeah. You just never know it. You'd never know it watching her on the golf course, but she's an absolute ripper. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I like she, her. Yeah. She's, she's a good, good, good girl. And, um, and, so they're on the fairway. They're thinking, great, now's now's our chance. Like, you want to get one up on Jin Young Ko because she barely ever makes any mistakes, yeah. obviously, by, you know, 106-hole bogey free run. But she she takes a drop, gets out, stiffs it, makes par. They yeah. make birdie. But at the same time, she just – whenever she's in contention, she she is incredibly hard to beat because she knows – you know that she's not going to put a foot wrong. There's almost no one else that you'd rather – you'd, you'd want to go up against less – than Jin Young Ko. Um, her caddy, actually, one of her first caddies de- was Dean Hurden, who's an Aussie, who has an incredible eye for talent. And he's caddied 
I mean, he, he caddied for G.A. Shin. He's a caddy for Bronte Law for a little while. Um, but he also caddied for Jin Young Ko. And he said that she is by far the most complete player that he has ever, ever caddied for. And he's caddied for genuinely the majority of the greats out of Korea he's been on the bag for. Um, just from from tee to green, there's just so few flaws and it's, it's obviously showing in a game. Yeah. Just think, World number one. Yeah. Think about that, Andy. Like Honestly, six, if you went and made six pars in a row, you'd be cock-a-hoop. Mm. You've got to make another hundred no, on the trot that. after that. It's, it's just it's such a next-level mark that she's trying to break here. No doubt. Um, it's phenomenal. So staying on the women's side of the game, Andy, for a little while, if you don't mind, oh, no, go. it was the first stage of the LPGA Q School uh, at the weekend finished. And uh, it was... We had a, a player come out at the Queen Circuit Trophy at Glenelg earlier in the year. Her name was Bianca Pagdanganen. I think I've gone that path correctly. I, I chatted to her about it at the time. Um, I was going to break into a song here, Andy, but it's probably mm. rude if I did. <laughs> uh, she's an amateur from the Philippines, and she was the she was the medalist there. But importantly for Australia, here in Navid was the second place getter in that in that tournament. So here are, um, I've just forgotten the name of the school, Lindsay Pepperdine. Wright, Pepperdine, yep. the Waves. Here in Navid from Perth, who's been starring for Pepperdine all year, um, this past college year, uh, was second. And and so she advances on to the second stage of Q School and a, a tremendous achievement for someone who left Australia as a, as a you know, a amateur with potential. She's starting to show... Uh, a fair bit of polish now. At the, she's now she's turned pro at the end of her college career. Right, fantastic. No, that's good. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's it's job one done. It is grueling. Um, oh. the, some of the people that, you know, I remember there's a there's a girl that used to play on the LPGA, Shasta uh, Avery Hart, who had to go back, and I was like, how is she still going back to first stage? And it is. So you, you're fronting up roughly about, I think it's about five thousand US dollars. It was when I did it, and that doesn't matter if you. I, actually, I think they might have changed it a little bit, but essentially it's five grand for all of it, not including anything else except your entry fee, um, which is a way of what kind of weeding out people that do or don't genuinely want to be there or should be there. Um, but purely from a financial side of things, you're looking at ten to fifteen thousand US dollars just to just to go and give yourself well, a, a crack yeah, a at getting all through three stages. Maybe that's Good. how we make the FedEx Cup more interesting. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so other other Aussies to advance: Becky Kay, uh, Su Jin Lee. Uh, Selena Yuan uh, all made it through. Unfortunately, a uh, friend of the pod, Stephanie Bunky, missed by a shot on the wrong side of the line. Nadine White, uh, similarly, just a couple of shots on the wrong side of the cut line. So those two will have to go back to the uh, back to the drawing board for a year. But uh, we have a swag of Aussies led by here in Navid. Although it, it resets, obviously, when you get up to the next stage. So good works now. Counts for nothing, but she is alive. Uh, Scandinavia. Uh, we played in Sweden. Gothenburg, yeah. I thought I thought we were in business here yeah, early. No, it, yeah. Wade yeah. Ormsby yeah. flew yeah. out of the blocks, didn't he? But um, got overrun a little bit. Something extraordinary happened on around the globe for about in a, within about twenty minutes of one another. If I've got my timelines right, Henrik Stenson had a hole in one that he didn't even know he had a hole in one until he sort of got halfway up to the <laughs> he putter in his hand as he walked off the tee. But it was about 20 minutes there or thereabouts prior to that. Xander Shawfly had a one over in the States. Now, someone's going to correct me on this, but I think there were two ones in quite quick succession um, on either side of the Atlantic, which was just one of those little crazy things that sort of happens every now and again. Are you on split screen? you watching these on split screen? No, but I saw a tweet. <laughs> I was watching. I was actually watching it when Stenson had the hole in one. And it was, I think, and then I went on Twitter to see what people were saying. And then I noticed... 
there was a whole lot of people saying that Shawflay, is that is this at all possible that they could have had one so close to one another, given the time differences? Yeah, it could's possible, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, maybe late, it, late in the afternoon in my Sweden, Twitter early feed playing in, tricks with me or anything. Uh, early in the so, mor- early in the morning yeah. in uh, yeah. in the US, and late in the afternoon in Sweden, that'd be fine. So it always be thirteen under tie fifth, Scrivener ten under tie twenty. Jason, I've said this before on this pod. Jason Scrivener looks. He look. I'm not. I'm no guru when it comes to the swing. But he looks bulletproof. He, he looks like a, a perfect player. He's immaculate. He stays on play. He's got a beautiful. Like it looks like a bulletproof golf swing. There's some. Why doesn't Jason Scrivener win? I reckon it's a habit. I honestly, you know, I I think once he gets his first real big taste of it, I reckon he'll, you know, he'll break the seal and he'll be away, you know, but. My eyes not deceiving me with this guy. He looks no. like a really good player, doesn't he? It stands out more live. I reckon Ellie and I would have watched him a fair bit at the Vic Open um, a couple of years back, and you just think you're probably better than this at this stage. But it's easier said than done. You mm. heard how hard it was for Brett Rankin to get his first win. Um, you know, we we want to see Scrooge break through at this level. He's obviously had other other ones. But, mm. um, yeah, he looks bulletproof. You're right. He is. He looks like the complete player when you see him. Mm. Um, and even the way down to the way that he prepares, he carries himself and mm. that kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, a lot of it's mental, and I'm not saying it necessarily is with Jason, but I, I feel like he was looking for a little while. Like I was talking to him in Perth last year at the, at the um, World Super 6 Perth, and we were, we were talking about his struggle in terms of trying to work out where to base himself. Um and he was really torn because he thought he was going to go over to London and make a base in London and then ended up not doing that. Like I, I kind of kept checking in with him throughout the year and I'm like, have you made the move? And he goes, to be honest with you, I just, I just want to come home. Wow. And um, There's your answer, Andy. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. which, yeah. which is tricky. Um, and, you know, and I don't know how much it actually tells us, but I think there's always stuff in terms of like even like a management of someone's game that sometimes, you know, just finding a place that um, that feels like home away or whatever it is for, or having your coach out more like, you know, like you take kind of the, the Lucas Herbert approach where he travels, he almost takes his home, all of his golf people with him. Mm. Um, but just finding out what works for you. And, and most of it's trial and error. There's just mm. no book for it. And mm. you know what? It's, it's going to click with Scriv and – He'll win twice. Mm. Yeah. He looks a player. And yeah. Dean Lawson was the next best Aussie there, Andy. And I just yeah. want to put on yeah. record, A, that he did that, but B, there may not be a bloke batting above his average more, and he's just been uh, – he just became engaged to Ali, <laughs> Ali Orchard. You've seen this once or twice, actually. Well, now it's, it's not the formal because they're, uh, you know, they're, they've put a ring on it, and it's – it's. Well, congrats uh, um, to those. Oh, congrats to Dean yeah, and, of I course, saw, to Ali. I saw yeah. Dean in, uh, in Prague, and he was super stoked. Yeah, good. As he should be. Anything else before we get out of here? Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a few little things. Right, I want to make note of um, a couple of things in uh, Japan, strangely enough. Anthony Quayle, another friend of the pod, did really well. Tied six there in the uh, Shigeo Nagashima Invitational. But the winner of that tournament, I'm not sure, sure it didn't escape your attention, Ali, uh, was one Ryo Ishikawa. Ah, oh, there you go. Who's now had a couple of wins this year, uh, this time by four shots. And there was a lot of talk, I'm not sure what your thoughts are, about him making a sort of putting his hand up in a very informal way to Ernie Els to get to the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne. Um, they were paired together last time they played mm. there. They're known to each other. What do you th- what do you think? Could, could, could the miracle happen? Uh, I'm not against putting recent form on a team. 
especially for someone that has that's played and knows the beast of Royal Melbourne in particular. Um, if he was a guy that hadn't played Royal Melbourne and hadn't played with Ernie, um, I would probably look away. But I think there's honestly, I can't I can't stress enough how much of an advantage it is playing that golf course for the internationals. Mm. It is especially if there's a hot northerly, if the greens are bouncy, and you know that the golf course superintendents will be trying to set it up in a way that kind of helps helps out the the home team essentially. But um, yeah, so if he's got it under his belt, he's playing some incredible golf, um, and it's good to see him back in the it ring. Is, it really is. Um, he's pretty quiet for a number of years. He dropped his world ranking dropped all the way down, and uh, and yeah, he's on the rise again because the talent, you know, jeez, oh, it's there. So running around the rest of the Aussies in the yep. world, Andy, Adam Scott, sixth in the Tour Championship. Mark Leishman tied 24th. That's their final FedEx ranking. I know that's really important to you, the FedEx rankings. I know you're <laughs> very big on it. Uh, we've mentioned Japan. There's a handful of guys that did really well there, including Matt Griffin tied 26th. But in China, uh, can you believe our man, uh, Maverick Ancliffe, nearly did it again. She whiz. Second. He's got three wins already this yeah, year, yeah. and he, he ran second. Uh, which is becomes a ha- becomes a bit of a habit, doesn't it? You it know? really does. Yeah, it does. It so does. That's the Hang Shuan Open. Um, mm. He's helping me with my pronunciation of the Chinese names too, <laughs> with him going so well. Good. <laughs> do I need Good. it? I, we all could do with a hand in that area. Well, most of us. <laughs> and just I'm going, you, Ellie, you don't you don't need any help. <laughs> uh, the three Good. girls: uh, Catherine Kirk, Minji Lee, yeah. and Sue O all finished tied twenty fifth in Canada. Uh, Sarah Kemp also made the cut there. I just uh, wanted to touch base with the other uh, place getters, I suppose, in, in the Northern Territory PGA. Um, we, we've already discussed um, Brett Rankin. But I just wanted to make mention of Taylor McDonald and his fellow Queenslander, Laurie Flynn, who's an amateur still, who finished second and third. So a great effort by Laurie Flynn, 68, 66, 67, 67, for someone who's got a massive game, who I'm sorry, but has been inconsistent through his amateur career. Just starting to put it together, and he's a big left-hander who hits it five miles. So something that uh, we can keep an eye on. My word, we can. We like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're done and dusted. Been a busy show. Well done, Cam Percy. Good to see you. When do you head off next? Uh, Solheim Cup for me. Righto. Ten days. Good. Yeah. yeah, can't wait. No, we'll be listening. Scotland. How do you go in Scotland? What do you mean? How do you go with the accents? Oh, easy. I've got actually got relatives that live five minutes from Glen Eagles and are members there. So oh, um, nice. some of the families coming over and stuff. It should be a, quite a shindig. And hopefully we hear if if Team USA win, I'm going to try and sneak a recording of Christina Lance doing karaoke because it is something else. <laughs> There's not enough shindigging going on on this show, so the more the merrier. Good to see you, Shags. You too, Murray. See you next week. No worries. And good luck with our NFL. Are we going to get this? Draft going at any stage on our... I think it will might pick up a little bit of speed. Conversation for <laughs> other time and other people. That is it. You've been listening to Inside the Ropes, Ep 117. Uh, done and dusted. Back next week. See you then.